0: Sunday message Luke chapter 10 let me ask you a question get your mind thinking this morning it's a question that I think all of us wrestle with and it's an important question what brings you joy what brings you joy what brings you that calm sense of happiness satisfaction and rest for your soul It's an important question. We used to sing a little chorus around here. It was in one of our old hymn books. There's joy in following Jesus. And that's true. There's joy in following Jesus, but let's be honest. There's also a lot of sadness and hardship in that too. If you're going to follow Christ, it isn't just all, you know, warm fuzzies and rose petals on the path. It's hard. Sometimes God takes us in places where it's not really joyful. And yet, I find that in the Word, in John chapter 15, Jesus says this, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And yet, I know this about my own self, and I know this about many of you, and just Christians in general. There's many of us who are just downright miserable. In fact, some of us aren't happy unless we're miserable. We go through life, and and I want us to know that that's not God's intention. And my point this morning isn't to preach to you a message that makes you just feel good about everything, because let's be honest, there's not a lot around us to feel good about. Would you agree with me about that? There's not a lot to feel really great about. But something's not right when the true follower of Christ is not full of joy. Something's not right. And, and this morning I think Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And, and I hope that as we work through the text this morning, that we that we that we understand that there is joy in serving Jesus, but there is something that's even far greater and far more joyful for us that we can all rest in. And so this morning I want you to look at Luke chapter 10 with me. We're going to turn our attention to the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 10 this morning. After this, the Lord appointed 72. Stop right there. Some of your Bibles say what? 70. You're like, oh no, is it 70 or is it 72? Let me answer this question for us so that it's not nagging you the whole time. When we translated the Scriptures, there is this big debate whether we should use the majority of the text or the oldest text. And those who use the oldest text go back to, and it says 72 there. Those who use the majority of the text say it's 70. 70. Either way, it doesn't affect the story, okay? Can we just settle on that? Either way, it doesn't affect the story. Anybody bothered that it might have been 72? Okay, all right. Your Bible is not lying to you, okay? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Case in point, this isn't all joyful. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Father, use your word to challenge our thinking today, to challenge our hearts. Use your word to to encourage us. Use your word to point out areas that need change in our hearts. Lord, I I trust in the power of the Word of God, I trust in the Holy Spirit to do His work this morning. May we learn as we now unpack this text of Scripture, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want you to see this morning in this text of Scripture is, is who is in charge of the harvest? According to verse 2, who's in charge of the harvest? The Lord is, Right? The Lord, God is in charge of the harvest. The Lord is in charge. He is sovereign over the harvest. It's his harvest. It's not the preacher's harvest. It's not the evangelist's harvest. I'm not up here this morning looking to harvest souls this morning. It's not my job. God is the God of the harvest. And, and, and so, as we begin this this morning, let's understand this is God's plan. This is Jesus who has devised a plan. If you notice at the very beginning of this chapter, the Lord appointed, the Lord did this. He, he selected 72 of his followers, other than the 12 that he had sent out before. He had another 72 that he picked, and he sent them ahead of him. He sends them out as kind of like his advanced team. They're going to go everywhere where Jesus is going to go. If you remember last week when Paul was preaching, Paul made it very clear to us, the text made it very clear to us, that Jesus has now had a shift in focus of his ministry. He's done in Galilee. We saw earlier that it says in Luke that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is now ready to embark on this trip. Now, if he was to embark on this trip and go on a straight line from Galilee down to Jerusalem, it would be just a short little trip, a couple days maybe. Okay, But he's going to spend a lot of time going to lots of villages on the eastern side of the Jordan, and then as he works his way down there, he's going to then spend a lot of time down in all of Judea before he gets to Jerusalem. He's not taking a straight-line trip. This isn't a trip planned by Dan Scarberry where we have got to get from A to B now. No sightseeing on the way. We'll have fun when we get there. No. Okay? This is, this is a long trip he's going to make here. He's going to stop in villages. He's going, to, he's going to present the news of the kingdom. But he's sending people out ahead of him to prepare the way. To prepare the way. Notice that, again, it's God who's sovereign. He says to them, notice in the message he gives to them in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore prayed earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest... Many of you in this room are involved in ministry where you're teaching or you're working with. Or many of you are parents in this room. And and there is a sense that when you are given a responsibility over someone, that, that you feel this impending sense of responsibility that it's all up to you. You know, maybe you're teaching an Awana council time or you're teaching your Sunday school class and you can approach that and you can think, it is all up to me. I've got to say exactly the right word and I appreciate that. Words are important. They communicate or they don't communicate well and you want to say the right words but let's understand something. It's not all up to you. It's not all up to me this morning. It's a weighty thing to stand in front of you and open the word of God but it's not all up to me. I'm not the Lord of the Harvest. I'm not in charge of it. God's going to do what God does. And, and so we have to understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, we find out where God says this, it's God who brings the increase. It's God who brings the results. You and I are not sovereign over salvation. Only God is because it's his salvation to share. If it was our salvation, then we could share it. But this is God's salvation. We're the ones who need saving. God doesn't. And so he's Lord over his salvation. And so he sends these men out. I find it interesting that Jesus sends them out two by two. Two by two. They're, they are the advanced team, as I said, but but he sends them out in groups of two. And I asked myself why. Well, I think the, the answer is pretty obvious. Ministry's hard. Ministry's hard. How many of you ever gotten discouraged doing something for the Lord? Yeah. How many of you ever just gone home after maybe serving the Lord, teaching or something like that, and like, that was a total flop? I can't tell you how many times the, the, the short trip between 7397 Johnstown and Alexandria Road and 5600 Smaller Road, I can't tell you how many times I've made that trip and said, that was a bomb. If you've ever taught or preached or had ministry, you're going to feel like you failed. Ministry's hard. How many of you ever been discouraged by the way people responded to your ministry? That's hard too. You know There's nothing worse than, than teaching and teaching your heart out. Maybe you're teaching little kids, and then somebody another adult in your group comes up and said, "That was good, but I would have taught it this way." I mean, that'll deflate your balloon quicker than anything. Jesus sends them out two by two because he knows this. Ministry is always better when it's shared with somebody else. Ministry is always better when it's shared with somebody else. One of the things that you note in the scripture is there's no lone rangers in the Bible. And even lone ranger had Tonto, right? There's no lone rangers in the scripture. Paul had an entourage that traveled with him wherever he went. Peter had the other leaders there in the church in Jerusalem. There's no lone rangers in the scripture. Remember when Elijah was so discouraged and he said, there's no one in Israel and God has to open his eyes. Hey dude, there's like 5,000 other prophets. You're not doing this alone. I'm so thankful for a wife that God's given who partners with me. I'm thankful for Pastor Andy who, who shares this vocationally with me. I'm thankful for elders to partner with. It's, it's just better when you do ministry together. There's also some practicality in that. They're sharing the testimony of Jesus. And one of the things about Moses' law, which they were still under was, is that it required that there be two witnesses to verify that something was true. And so Jesus sent his, his representatives out in pairs, and they were out telling the truth, and they were verifying the truth to the people that they were telling it to. Two witnesses would be in keeping with the law. But notice as he sends them, he says, pray as you go. Pray as you go. Not pray specifically for yourself, because if I'm thinking about this, I want to be praying for me as I go. Because I'm scared, because I'm not allowed to take a money bag. I'm not allowed to take any food with me. I'm not even allowed to wear shoes, according to verse 4. I would be praying for me. He says, no. Pray that there would be more laborers into the harvest. Pray that there be more laborers entering into the harvest. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage, heard this passage preached, and this is the beauty of God's word. Have you ever sat down with God's word and then all of a sudden you read it like for the 45th time and something just strikes you? You ever had that happen to you? I want to open your eyes as to what I believe the harvest is, because I've heard this preached so many times that the harvest is just the harvest of souls that God's going to bring in. You ever heard that preached? It's all the people who are going to come to Christ. And I think there is a sense where that is what the harvest is, but the harvest is far greater than that. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, it doesn't line up perfectly time wise with this but it's pretty contemporary with where Jesus is in terms of the timeline of his life and in Matthew chapter 13 we get a little bit of a picture as to what the harvest is earlier in Matthew chapter 13 he's going to give a parable in verses 24 through 30 about the weeds and, and how there, there's good crops and that someone comes in and sows weeds amongst the good crop and it's hard to tell who the good people are from the bad people. And then he's going to explain this starting in verse 36. And so and let's just read the explanation of this. Verse 37, he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Jesus is the one who has sown those who will be his followers. They will, they will be harvested and they will, they will be a part of his kingdom. Verse 38, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Okay, that makes sense, right? Okay, every person that's alive on this earth, you're either, you're either the child of God or the child of the devil. Okay, that may sound harsh to you this morning, but that's just the reality, and I'm not trying to be preachy about it, I'm just telling you, that's the reality. You're either the child of God, or you're the child of the devil. You're in one of two families. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. And all of a sudden, this text now in Luke chapter 10 takes on greater meaning. The harvest wasn't necessarily that Jesus was sending out 72 to go out and evangelize and that they would bring in souls to the kingdom. That's part of it, but the true harvest is coming judgment. And I want you to understand this morning, whether you're here for the first time or the 101st time, everyone here needs to hear this this morning. There is judgment coming. There is judgment coming. And I say that to you as your friend this morning, as someone who's warning you, because if there's judgment coming, it would be wise that you and I would be prepared to meet that judgment. And the harvest that Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 10 is the harvest of judgment that's coming when the good plants are separated from the bad plants. And let's understand, we're about to get to planting season here where we are. You know, farmers go out and they sow their crops. And when they first come up, it's hard to tell what's a weed and what's not a weed, right? But by the time that they all come to maturation, we know at the end, right? We know what's a weed and we know what's, what's not a weed. We know what's good. We know what's bad. And the harvest is coming. It was prophesied by Joel in Joel chapter 3. And so now Jesus is saying, in light of the fact that judgment is coming, don't pray for reapers. He says to pray for what? laborers, laborers, people who will go out and work in the field. The harvest isn't ready to come. The the laborers are not doing the harvesting here. They're doing the preparing for the harvest. And so now, understanding that, let's look at the ministry of these laborers. The first thing that really strikes me is in verse 3, he just says, go. What's missing here in our minds is there's been no advanced preparation of these guys. I mean, there's been no evangelistic training. They haven't learned, you know, how to share the gospel. They haven't learned any of this stuff. He just says, okay, you've been with me, now go. Go. And in that, there's a sense of an urgency. There's no time for delay or even further training. Jesus wants these villages prepared for his arrival. In a very similar way. I think there's some of us who are like, I'm not prepared to do the Lord's work. I I need more. No. If you're the child of God, here's the message to you. Go. Go. Do my work. Go. But notice the reality check immediately. Go your way and you are going to do wonderful things. No. Go your way. Verse 3 I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay, that's the old smack in the face, right? Wake up. Okay, when they've been with Jesus, it hasn't been very much like lambs amongst the wolves, has it? It's been pretty cool to be with Jesus, right? I mean, everywhere they go, Jesus does some amazing thing. The the people love it when Jesus comes. People get healed. People leave happy. It's really cool. The only people who really are getting upset is the religious leaders, and it's fun to tick off the religious leaders after all, is it not? Okay? That's kind of fun. But now he's saying, you go, and I'm sending you out as lambs amongst the wolves. Folks, we live in a day where we're lambs amongst the wolves. We live in a day where we're lambs amongst the wolves. And we need to take our cue from lambs. I don't know much about lambs, but I know this. They really have no capacity to fight wolves. Do they? And there's too many of us that are looking to put up a fight. We're not called to fight. We're called to just bring the message. That's our fight. Okay, We're not out looking for a literal fight because wolves are going to beat lambs every time. Do you understand that? I have never known a lamb to defeat a wolf. Okay? Wolves are not going to defeat, lam- or lambs are not going to defeat wolves. And, and then Jesus stacks the odds even worse against the lambs. Do you see it in verse 4? He stacks the odds even worse. No money. No knapsack. That's like one change of clothes and lunch. I mean, every person who travels knows this. If you're going to fly, okay, even if you're going away for a week on vacation, what do you put in your carry on? A change of clothes and some snacks, right? Because you know the airlines are going to lose your luggage, right? Right? So you go prepared, right? Jesus is like, no, no, no knapsack. In fact, don't even put sandals on your feet. And then, and then this last one seems really confusing to us in verse 4. Don't even greet anyone on the road. Now, he's not saying to be rude. So he's not saying to be rude. What he's saying is they had this custom in the day and age that they live in is that when you met somebody you didn't know on the road, to show that you are really a good person, you would have this elaborate greeting. Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Where are you from? Where are you from? No, he says, like, just greet people just normally. Just say, hey, hey, hello, how are you doing? And just keep on going. Kind of like the motorcyclists as they go down the road. You ever watch motorcyclists when they see other motorcyclists? It's really cool to go. I don't know, is that some kind of motorcyclist code, Daryl? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the handbook that they give you, the unwritten rules. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's what he's saying. As you go down the road, you just kind of acknowledge people. Hey, how you doing? But you don't have time for lengthy you know, introductions here. It's a ministry of faith. How do I know this? Because look at verses 7 and 8. Don't take food with you. Wherever you go, you have to eat what they feed you, even if they don't have Mountain Dew. It's the worst. Wherever you go, you've got to eat what they feed you. When they enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Sometime you want to hear a really great story. Ask Paul Grice about the food that was set before him in Haiti the people there were so thankful for our church coming to, to put a roof on their church down there that they sacrificially bought a goat. I mean, and that's sacrificial for them. And when they cook a goat, they cook it all. And they throw it in a pot. And, and you just pull out whatever you pull out. And you can pull out some things that you really don't want to eat. How was that, Paul? Paul? It was rough. <laughs> you eat whatever's put in front of you. It, it's but you survived, didn't you, Paul? Your digestive system was a little screwed up for about six months, but you survived. And I and I think of that when I read this. You see, ministry isn't about us. It's about the message that we share. And, and, and Jesus is—he's is, he's giving them an intense training time, just like when he sent out the twelve, and he, and he kind of stacked the deck against them. He's stacking the deck against these seventy-two to get them prepared for future ministry. Not all ministry is going to be without food and without sandals, but this trip is going to be that way. And notice what the message is in verse five. Whatever house you enter, first say, "Peace be to this house." And that's a, typical, that's a typical way to greet somebody in, in, that, in that land anyway. You enter somebody's house, you say, shalom. Shalom to you. And they say it back to you. But it's more than that. Because look at verse 6. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. What does that mean? Literally what he's saying is, you're to seek out homes where the message of peace will be received. Now earlier I mentioned to you in verse 3 that we're not in a fight. Right? Right? Lambs don't fight wolves. Wolves just devour lambs, right? And the message is peace. You say, that seems really weird because in the world that we live in today, the message needs to be pretty harsh. Wouldn't you think it needs to be kind of harsh? I mean, after all, we are surrounded by a bunch of really dirty, rotten sinners and they need to know how dirty, rotten they are. No, you know what they need to know? Is that Christ has made peace possible for them with God. Isn't that the message that you needed to hear? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear that message. If if you're not in Christ, you're in rebellion to Christ. But Christ died and he made made it possible for you and I to have peace with God. On Friday night, we're going to celebrate Good Friday here together. And, And one of the biggest parts of that celebrating is this. Is that when Christ was on the cross... God poured out his wrath on Jesus that he should have been pouring out on me so that I can be at peace with God. And that's the message that they're sharing, is that that you can have peace with God through Jesus who is the Messiah. That's the message that they were taking to all these villages, is that you can have peace. And let's face it, our world has been and continues to be and will always be in conflict and at war with God. And that's why Jesus, the Prince of Peace, died, so that by his sacrifice, you and I can have peace with God. Now, notice he gives them the same power that he gave the 12 in verse 9, the power to heal. Sometimes I read that and I'd be like, it would be really cool to have the power to heal right now. But then I know this about myself, I would probably abuse it. He says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The purpose of the healing is to validate the message that they're giving. The purpose of the healing is to validate the message that they're giving. And then he says, when you you finish up with them, here's what you say. The kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, the the rule and reign of God in people's hearts and lives has now come to you. It's here, it's here, and it's come very near to you. It's the same message that they're supposed to give in verse 11 when people reject it as well. The final word is this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Christian, Christian, are you living your life in such a way that the people that you interact with know that the kingdom of God has come near Are you living your life in such a way that the people that you work with, the the people that you're going to see that are family members over Easter, are are they going to recognize that the kingdom of God has come near? You see, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to say it and actually live it in front of them. It does no good for these people to say the kingdom of God has come near if their lives don't back it up. And so the message is the kingdom of God has come near. There's going to be some who are going to receive it. Right? We see that. We see that in verse 6. But there are going to be some that are going to reject it. We see that in verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you. When a coworker doesn't receive the message. When a family member doesn't receive the message. You just self-righteously turn from them and say, I'm done with you. No, what does he say? even the dust from your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you nevertheless know this that the kingdom of god has come near what's jesus saying there well what jesus is saying is you give them you give them a reminder and the reminder of shaking dust off your feet, we've talked about this before as we've seen it in Luke, but but it, it, but it is a pronouncement. It's not that I'm better than you, but what it's saying is this, I don't want the sand from this town on my feet because God's gonna judge the sand of this town. God's gonna bring judgment here. If you reject, if you reject, you're rejecting Christ. Look down at verse 16 and, and be reminded of this. The one who hears you hears me. Which Which really adds weight to how we interact with the world. Christian, can I say this to you with with all love and encouragement? The world doesn't need to know your opinion on things that are going on. The world doesn't need to know that. The world just needs to know about Jesus. When they hear you, they should hear Christ. Christ. Boy, would that change the way we interact on social media. Boy, would that change the way we interact on social media. The last thing the world needs is your opinion on the vaccine, by the way. They don't care, right? What they need to know is Jesus. It's what they need to hear is Jesus. And when they reject you, do you see the rest of that in verse 16? They're rejecting Jesus, as long as you're representing Jesus well. You know what? I've had a lot of my ideas shot down by people. I think I have really good ideas. After all, I'm a smart guy. And people shoot down my ideas all the time. And I get, my, I get my nose out of joint a little bit, and I get a little hurt about that. Anybody else get hurt when your good ideas get shot down? It means, after all, we're all really intelligent people, right, and we have good ideas. And as long as you agree with me, it's, life is going to be great. Here's the thing. When you go out and present Christ, there's no reason to get hurt. When they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. And in honesty, that ought to just break our hearts because notice how Jesus describes the judgment that they face. How many of you have ever wondered if there's going to be different degrees of judgment in the final judgment? You ever wrestled with that? They're going to be different degrees, you know. I mean, like, is Adolf Hitler going to burn in a hotter part of hell? I've had people ask me about this all the time. And I want to tell you, as I studied this this week, it is really apparent to me that there's going to be varying levels of judgment. There's going to be varying levels of judgment. Jesus gives us the clue here. Notice first, he gives us three illustrations to, 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 to back up the fact that there's going to be a comparative level of judgment here. The first one is this. So, verse 11, even the dust of the town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, Jesus says in verse 12, I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay, this is comparison number one. That town we don't know. Maybe it's John's Okay, and if we reject the word of the Lord, He's saying it's going to be more bearable for Sodom. Now, what do we know about Sodom, church? We know that Sodom in the Old Testament was, was, was known for its rampant homosexuality, not just their rampant homosexuality, but the fact that they promoted it and that they endorsed it and that they out, outright lived it, right? And what did God do with Sodom? Do you remember? He rained fire out of heaven on them, did he not? Okay? He rained fire from heaven on them. How many of you would agree that's a bad thing? Fire from heaven, bad. Here's a village that rejects two of God's servants who come to prepare the way for the Lord. And what does God say? Sodom's judgment is going to be more bearable than this town's. Do you think God has different measures of judgment here? If you're not convinced, just continue on to verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! These were two towns that were located up in Galilee, that were close to the Sea of Galilee. They're two little villages, okay? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but will be more bearable for, for in, ju- in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon, you may not know anything about them, but understand this about Tyre and Sidon. They were two cities that were on the Mediterranean coast, Okay? In the Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon were always associated with rampant evil. Always. When you look at the prophets, Tyre and Sidon are the names of towns that are used to be associated with evil. And here's what God says. Here's what God says Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! When Jesus says woe, he means woe. And here's what he's saying. If Tyre and Sidon, those wicked cities, those cities that you think you're so much better than, those cities that you consider just so rampantly evil, if I had come to Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented and you people rejected me and I just want to tell you it's going to be worse. Notice verse 14, it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Then he gives a third example, verse 15. And you, Capernaum, now we know a lot about Capernaum. We've seen Capernaum, have we not? This was Jesus' base of operations in Galilee, was Capernaum, right? He says, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You think you have it all together, Capernaum. You think you're gonna be right close to the throne of God in heaven. And notice what he says, you will be brought down to Hades. Why do I say all that to us this morning? Why do I bring this to our attention Here's why I bring this to our attention. Because, my friend, there is a great, horrific, indescribable judgment that is coming for those who reject Christ. Let me say that again. There is a great, horrific, indescribable judgment for those who reject Christ. This is not a fairy tale. This is not just a book of fairy tales here. This is truth. God has given us a warning here in Luke chapter 10 that real judgment is coming for those who reject Christ. To reject the word of God is to reject Jesus and to reject the Father who sent him. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, I hope that shakes you to your very core. I hope it shakes you your core to the point that you turn to Christ and you run to Christ so that you escape judgment. So they go out and they do what they're supposed to do. In verse 17, they come back. Could you imagine being these groups of two that come back and you're like, and you're like so full of stories. Can you just imagine when they all show up and they're all full of stories? And they're like, I want to tell you, I cast out a demon. The demon, I I couldn't believe it. This demon-possessed kid came to me, and I'm like, demon be gone, and it was gone, and I can't believe it. Lord, what you really said is true. We were able to cast out demons, and it's so cool. Right? You get the excitement there in verse 17? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus kind of like, easy, Easy? He says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I want to tell you, that is one of the hardest verses in Scripture to interpretate, interpret. It just is. Like, what is this? Where'd this come from? What's Jesus saying? Is he talking about back in early in time when Satan fell from heaven? I saw Satan fall from lightning from heaven. Well, there's no talk about Satan falling here, but there is talk about demons who are subject to Jesus' name. And here's what Jesus is saying. When we go out and do ministry, little by little, chipping away at Satan, Satan is literally every day he's losing a little bit more. Every day he's losing a little bit more. Every soul that gets added to the kingdom, that's another loss for Satan. Every demon that gets cast out, that's another loss for Satan. And what Jesus is saying here is this. With every demon cast out, it's like another flash of brilliant lightning that happens quick, and it's another, another nail in Satan's coffin. He says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Okay? There's been a lot of misapplication of these verses. Yeah, like there's churches in southern Ohio where they literally handle snakes. That's just stupid. That's just stupid. Okay. Serpents and scorpions here are, are, are pictures of, of demonic forces and evil. And what Jesus is saying here is, I've given you authority over them. You don't have to fear them. I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. Nothing's going to hurt you. And, and, and what he he builds this all up. He's like, yes, you guys are invincible. And they're ready. Like, here we are. We're the Avengers. We're going to go out. Nothing can stop us, right? And then he pours water on it at the beginning of verse 20. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. He's like, That's cool and everything, but that's not what you should be happy about. Don't be happy when you leave Awana and you nailed it. Don't be happy when you teach the perfect Sunday school lesson and you nailed it. Don't be happy when you preach the perfect sermon and you nailed it. Because that's all about who. You want to know what we should be joy-filled over? Catch that last line. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Is that something you can be joyful about all the time? Is that something you should be joyful about all the time? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And notice not that you wrote your name in heaven. You can't write your name in heaven. Otherwise, everyone would do it, right? Who wrote your name in heaven? The Lord of the harvest did. The Lord of the harvest wrote your name in heaven. And rejoice in the fact that you're the child of God, that you're in the Lamb's book of life, that before time, he chose you and wrote, his, or wrote your name in his book. That is something to be grateful for. You know what? Success in ministry is in this world and it is in this life only. But being a child of God is for all eternity. And for the child of God, this is our constant source of joy. (laughs) I began by saying, ministry and and being a Christian is not always a joy-filled experience. It's not fun to, to have people criticize you. It's not fun to be discriminated against because you're a Christian. That's not something that's a source of joy. But you want to know what the source of joy for us always is? Is that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. And to sign up to be a follower of Jesus is not always going to be the most popular thing. People aren't going to always be like, oh, you're so wonderful because you love Jesus. No, people are going to hate you for that. You're going to be a lamb amongst the wolves. But you are in the Lamb's book of life and you will be with him for eternity forever. You see, you can get everything that you want out of this life and miss it all. Because to be the child of God means you're going to avoid the judgment of God. You're gonna, you, when the harvest comes, you're not going to be burned up. And it also means that you're sent to share the good news of the kingdom. If you're the child of God, you're a lamb. You're a lamb amongst the wolves. And you carry the message of peace. And is, not that, is that not the message that our world needs? Peace right now you carry that message the message that that the kingdom of heaven is near the message that God wants to bring reconciliation to those who are in rebellion to him and if that's who you are this morning you're someone who's in rebellion to him got really good news for you the kingdom of heaven is near <laughs> God wants to bring you peace today I would love nothing more than to talk to you about that after after I pray and conclude this time together And for those of you who are wondering, yes, the hallways are full of children that have come back from retreat. The parking lot is full of kids out there running right now. (laughs) They look kind of stinky. I'm just going to warn you. All right. Let's thank God for his word. And this week, let's embrace being lambs in the midst of wolves and carry the message of peace, knowing that we have the joy of being in the Lamb's book of life. Father, We can't help but hearing from your word and just say, God, we're so thankful that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. That changes everything. And for those today that are in this room whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life, may today be the day that their names are entered in the book of life and and that they realize that their names have been put there and that they come to faith in Christ. Father, we are grateful that we don't have to be in charge of the harvest, but we do pray that you would send more laborers into the harvest, that you would encourage us, knowing that, that we go as lambs to the slaughter, but we do so knowing that our, our future is secure in Christ. Lord, thank you for bringing our kids home safely. Thank you for answering our prayers in that. We delight to hear in, in how this retreat has impacted them. And we delight to serve you this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.